Hey, what's up, everyone? And welcome to week four of We Need to Talk's Road to the Election series. Joining me again from last week, we have Indidia Amadi. Hello. Ian Felchlin. Hi. And Jack Heard. Uh, uh, <laughs> you guys remember when the Budweiser people came out and they were like, what's that? Oh my gosh. That was the most <laughs> annoying commercial. <laughs> That's how I'm going to start every podcast. <laughs> Until the hey, election. Martin Lawrence. Oh my gosh. I remember hearing that all oh the time. Then God. people would always say it in school. That was like grade school, wasn't it? Or was it high school? I'm going to give it Yeah, because when, when you're in high school and grade school, like Budweiser is uh, the beer. Yeah. It's like the alcohol, you know? <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Not that we are promoting underage drinking. No, I'm just Never saying that that's, that that's... that's <laughs> what they were aiming for. It is, right, for sure. Okay, so last week, several things happened, but I want to start talking about um, the overwhelming support from Black wealthy rappers, and indeed, I already know you're... you're <laughs> I already know you're seething because this has been a thing, but it's it's just keeps happening, and granted, I don't care what Lil Wayne thinks, I don't care what 50 Cent thinks, I don't care what Kanye thinks, whatever, but the issue that I'm having with all of this support at the 11th hour is that I'm truly worried, not that the Black community is going to fall for it, but I'm more worried that the Republicans think the black community is going to fall for it and i I, i'm i i guess i shouldn't be worried about it but i'm like offended that these are our representatives and these are the people that you're meeting with and everybody's looking at this from the outside like especially on the republican side thinking oh well if little wayne endorses trump then that means the rest (laughs) of the black community is going to it's like that's not how it works but i also wonder from their perspective specifically the rappers that are endorsing Trump, do they think that they have the power to actually convince the Black community to come to that side? I think for a lot of these rappers who are endorsing Trump, a lot of it is, I think it's clout chasing. For sure. A lot of them, I think, um, I think they think it's a game. It's not going to affect them. They're millionaires, some of them multi-billionaires. Um, I think they want, I'm, I'm not quite sure what they're looking for, but they're looking for something um, Little Wayne, when he came out in his support of Trump, Trump called him an activist. I was like, I have never seen one day in my life Little Wayne do anything in regards to social activism. Well, he actually came out a couple years ago and said that those issues don't affect him because he's not one of those people. I saw that interview. I think yeah. it was with the black woman. I saw the yes, interview. Yes. Like, F you. <laughs> it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't affect me. So I'm like, why? And I also think that Trump is, he's a reality star. So he's meeting with these uh, celebrities. And he's meeting with them, taking pictures with them. This is like all photo op. And unfortunately, I do think people who are not into politics will want to follow people that they look up to. Unfortunately, mm. there mm-hmm. might be some new voters who are 18. Maybe Weezy F Baby is their, their hero. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to want to do the research. Like, well, if Weezy's voting for him. Weezy, Yeezy, whatever easy, I'm going <laughs> to vote for him. <laughs> so it's, it's a huge issue. And it's, it's very offensive. And when you ask them why they're supporting Trump, they don't have anything to stand on. It's one mm-hmm. thing to say, I support him for this, this, that, and the third. Mm-hmm. But if you're just supporting him because you see your other friends in your little rap circle supporting him, that's offensive to me. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact that like 50 Cent came out and is basically about tax breaks. And he's just like, I don't want to pay any more money, which I mean, that's just self. You're just being selfish. And, mm-hmm. and that's the, at the end of the day. You're voting to protect your own interests and you're voting 
for your wealth and not actually caring about the black community, which are things that all of these people have said. Connie always talks about the black community. I don't think, you know, Lil Wayne has 50 Cent has in the sense of like the content that he's been producing and who he's mm-hmm. cast for his shows like Power and stuff. He's wanted to uplift the black community in that sense by giving them opportunity in that way. But at the end of the day, this actually affects them more than you just creating a TV show to be on stars. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I... I am concerned, like you said, for those younger voters that do look up to them and this could be their first time voting and they don't really know anything or want to do the research um, that they might be swayed in that way. Um, Ian, in general, what is your view on celebrity endorsements? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's a really like good thing for the candidates to get in terms of like optics and photo ops and being able to say, you know, person XYZ supports me or has come out and said this. Um, I, I feel like though it's, they're largely not useless, but I, I feel like they appear to have more impact than mm-hmm. they actually do in terms of like swaying voters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm just, just trying to think of like my own personal experience. Like when I was 18 and a new voter, like I wouldn't have cared if like, I don't know, like Eric Clapton or somebody came out and like supported George Bush. I wasn't going to vote for him. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think the, the, my problem with it though, is that it like creates this focus on the celebrity endorsement and that celebrities like opinions of culture or politics or anything. Mm-hmm. When more often than not, those people are not activists. Mm-hmm. Those people do not really care. And they're really only taking part to either make a statement or get a little bit of camera time. Right. Right. You know, they're, they're not all, I don't know. I can't even really think of like a specifically like person who's a celebrity and an activist at the same time in recent memory that's come out for Biden. I know a lot of liberal celebrities have, you know, and some of them are great, but I don't, I don't equate any of them with like, oh, that person, if you took away their celebrity or artistic career, they would still be as vitally important to the culture in terms of like the mainstream. So I don't know. It just, it just feels like another thing to take up time and, and space. <laughs> yeah. Right. Drexel, I mean, obviously working with, you know, the LA County Department, County Democratic Party, you've had a lot of celebrity endorsements and people involved in the events that you've done. Like, do you guys put a lot of weight on that? Um, look, I, I think celebrity um, is there to energize people. You know, having celebrities there are to get people excited. I know tomorrow that uh, the vice president or Kamala Harris is going to be in um, Kamala Harris is going to be in Philadelphia again. This is exactly where Barack Obama uh, and uh, Elizabeth Hillary Clinton last year. This time tomorrow, uh, pre-election night. Uh, and so, you know, those folks are there, um, you know, to get people excited, get people excited about election day. You know, right now we have 91 million, as we're reporting this, we have 91 million people have already early voted. Uh, and that's probably going to double on election day as black voters uh, who are more skeptical of early voting or any mail-in voting uh, are going to be going to the polls, certainly Latino voters um, and older voters as well. Uh, but, you know, on Tuesday, they, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's Kamala and Lady Gaga and John Legend. And, you know, I'm sure that list is going to be growing um, as, as the next couple of days go on. I think everybody's waiting on Beyonce to decide what she's going to do. <laughs> um, you know, but look, I, I think there's two parts to the celebrity piece of it. One, we can't fault those. There's plenty of, of Republican celebrities out there. Yeah. 
they're just not good ones. They're, 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 you know, Kirstie Kirst Alley being one of them. Oh, uh, God. You know, and, and so, and so, um, so I, I think that it, it's, at least for the black, um, uh, the rappers, they're out there talking, Lil Pump, and, and, and I think that's his name, uh, and I don't even know what a Lil Pump is. Um, <laughs> a, 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 a Lil Wayne, and then there was another Lil, oh, no, no, somebody asked Lil John if he was going to endorse Trump, and he's, and he, well, he said no, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and so I, in his, in his own way. And so I think that, you know, those guys are out there talking about taxes. Yeah. Um, that's what Lil Pump talked about. Um, and, and Lil Wayne talked to, about the platinum plan or whatever plan. Which they were, I'm sure he didn't read. He probably didn't read it. Uh, he probably thought platinum and like platinum artist and not platinum as in platinum. <laughs> like people because that's uh, the only platinum he knows yeah he knows. <laughs> so i think i think you know it's not necessarily about look celebrities have a lot of influence over uh, energizing people look what taylor swift did in tennessee for sure um and, and, and you know how i feel about taylor swift so need to, <laughs> need to give her that much credit uh is is saying something but um but she did right and she got people energized and i think that is using your platform you, you know uh, yeah. as well as I do, uh is the part of the gig yeah and i think if you're, and, and and so people because they know because influencers know that people are going to listen to them yeah um i don't know that little john and this little pump or um uh, certainly all the littles all the littles and who's the other one you know and Con- Wayne, all, all of them you know, yeah you know nobody's actually listening to them for their political advice mm-hmm. you know ice cube kind of did his thing but then it like unraveled very mm-hmm. quickly you know mm-hmm. like roland martin took him to task and, like, yes. like, thing, and, like, <laughs> and you're like oh and then he tried to backtrack by saying like oh i really wasn't endorsing donald trump he was just the only one that listened to me but then if you look at his plan versus the biden plan they're kind of similar and then you're like so why did the biden team have to listen to you if it was already right. there right. you know right. like so it's just like that kind of stuff and you're yeah. just like you guys have no idea what you're talking about and then you're looking foolish mm-hmm and then it reflects badly to me, at least, on the bad, on the black community as a whole, because they already think that we are we have representatives that <laughs> we don't, you know what I mean? They're going to these people, so that's the frustrating thing for me. Is like these people don't speak for the entire community. I do think that there are general things the black community as a whole does need, but I don't think that people yeah. in the the multimillionaire bracket know what those things are, even though they came from that place because they've quickly sure. forgotten and they're all acting brand new. And right. And that's part of the reason why Barack Obama was out on the trail so much uh, starting Thursday. And then he's done a series of things over the weekend. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, putting Barack Obama front and center and then, having a viral video of him, you know, sinking a three-pointer that looked- Oh my yeah. God, that was great. I love it. was incredible. It. I do this. I was like, okay, right. Mr. President. He said, that's what I do. Yeah. That's <laughs> what I do. I love it. You know? oh, <laughs> great. Well, Jack, so all we would need is Sandra Bullock to, uh, to come on board with you. Oh, Jesus, you know. <laughs> Take away her Oscar, that that undeserved Oscar, and 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 we'll be in business. <laughs> Don't get him started. I just got you started. I know. I just know how you feel. Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about swing states because just in in reading, it seems like there are. Uh, about five or six swing states that could really make a difference in this election. But there's some specific counties that we were, that they're honing in on. So Drexel, I would love to hear your um, 
your views on this on and what states you think are going to be crucial for this election on Tuesday? Well, I mean, everybody knows I'm not, we're, you know, to, to, to repeat the things that we do know already um, right now, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio are the ones that everybody knows, mm-hmm. uh, but those really haven't changed from, from elect. Those are the same from election to election, right? Correct. Um, yeah. 77,000 votes separated Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in 2016. Um, and uh, so it's going to be even more crucial for those areas. I think that's why you're seeing a lot of a, a lot of time um, from Donald Trump being spent uh, in Pennsylvania, and certainly Joe Biden in Pennsylvania, which is why once again we are settling in setting down in Pennsylvania or Philadelphia tomorrow night on election eve. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the three crucial areas. But I also think that uh, our map, the Democratic map, looks a lot broader. Uh, as we start to see where people are early voting. Uh, in Texas, for example, um, there more people have early voted in Texas as of today than voted in the 2016 election in general. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and a lot of that is Democrats. Here in California, <clears throat> Democratic volunteers ha- uh, just yesterday called uh, another 200,000 uh, folks in swing states um, just from California alone. Mm. Uh, and so, um, and, and then of course you look at Georgia and the numbers in Georgia, John Ossoff and, and Raphael Warnock look really good in their races. Uh, and you're seeing more early votes come in there. Uh, Florida, of course, being the one that who knows what's going to happen in Florida, Florida, you know, Barack Obama won Florida in, in 20, uh, 2008. Um, yeah. but you know, you never know what Florida is going to do because if the Latinos and, and the black folks in, in Florida don't turn out. And then it's just the old white folks that turn out, obviously. We know where it's going to go. So we're going to be looking at, to Miami-Dade to figure out the trend of Florida throughout the night to figure out where those votes are going to be coming from. Um, but other than that, look, I, North Carolina is another uh, state that Barack Obama won in 2008 uh, that we haven't won back since then. But, um, but it is trending well. I mean, North Carolina has Roy Cooper as a Democratic governor. So it's mm-hmm. not like North Carolina doesn't know what to do. Right. Um, they just got to get. They just got to get. The votes. They just got to get the votes to do it. So, um, so yeah. So I think that those are going to be your key areas um, um, to be watching. Um, mm-hmm. If you remember, Barack Obama even won Kansas in two thousand and eight. So you know there are states that we have won that we have won before that we can win again. Um, and and I think that with this time, the, you know, the top of the ticket, of course, is very important, but key areas in those swing states that have U.S. senators on the ballot mm-hmm. are going to be equally as crucial. Right. Uh, and I think that that is knowing just how Mitch McConnell and the, and the Republican senators rammed through uh, a, a Supreme Court nominee certainly will probably energize a few folks. Um, the fact that Mitch McConnell and the, and the Republican senators went through six months without passing a COVID relief bill that's been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk will probably energize folks. Uh, just today, for those uh, who are probably listening to this tomorrow, yeah. uh, open enrollment for health care uh, happened today, but you certainly won't hear that from Republican senators while they're trying to gut it at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. So like those are the things that I think people are going to be watching right. uh, for as they, go into the, in, as they go into the booth on Tuesday. Those that have already early voted already know the deal. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Indeed, are there any states that you were kind of surprised by or you would be surprised by if it does end up going blue? 
At this point, I wouldn't be surprised by anything. What I will say, it's been interesting to watch um, states who have been traditionally a certain way conservative or liberal to see them switching. Like mm-hmm. Texas has been a huge surprise. And somebody said it's because everybody from California is moving to Texas. So they're making it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the theory. But it's just really been interesting to see like different states doing their different things. And I've really enjoyed seeing the high voter turnout and how people are showing up to the polls joyfully. And I've enjoyed seeing that part. It's really encouraging. And I, and I know it's a younger demographic, which is great because they're the future anyway, and we need to get, you know, the older people out anyway. So I'm glad, I'm glad to see it. Um, Ian, just in kind of the voting trends and, you know, we talked about voter turnout and seeing how different states are turning. What, what has your perception been? Um, I mean, I, I think this year is really interesting. It, it, the turnout is amazing. It's, uh, I was talking with a friend earlier today who's uh, still hasn't made up his mind on the top of the ticket somehow, but, but we have really... Uh, I don't know. But but we had a really good conversation about okay, how, well, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's like, you know, the important thing for a lot of these cases, especially when you have all these attempts to throw out ballots or whatever, is that it, it, that may seem partisan, but the, re, the reality is like whoever those people voted for, it deserves to be counted. So the, so the idea that the early turnout is already so much is really great to me. It's been really exciting. It, it makes me feel good about the future, feel better about the future, regardless of who wins. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's been uh, exciting to see that more states that we think of as traditionally red, whether or not they have been, you know, outside of the past 10, 12 years, um, are having more varied uh, tendencies, at least in polling. And I think that's that says something about the nation, mm-hmm. you know, as much as it says about those individual states and, and counties. And that's that's really exciting. It, it makes me feel confident that no matter what happens on Tuesday, that trend will hopefully continue as, and as people begin to kind of both spread out physically around the country and as like new young voters begin to embrace facts yeah. and make their own, and more importantly, make their own decisions with those, with that information. Yeah. I also want to talk a little bit about the situation in Harris County this past week. So there was, um, I guess a group of uh, uh, Republican, uh, I don't know what word to call them. Um, <laughs> uh, nobody does. Yeah, they, you know, they were trying to get nearly 127,000 votes thrown out because I guess it was through drive-through voting and the Texas Supreme Court rejected that request. But it just goes to show you, I feel like they are scared, Republicans in general, for Tuesday. I, I do think that there is really any attempts being made to suppress the vote to to try to win this election. But I was really surprised that they were trying to get that many votes thrown out. They're just, they're, I, I think you're right. I think they are scared. I think yeah. they are, they are, they realize that the overall tide of the country is coming in, it's changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like any animal when it's backed into a corner starts to lash out uncontrollably. And that's why all of this is so blatant yet still happening. A hit dog will holler. Right. And I, I believe that this is beyond a political issue. I think it's psychological now because I feel like people are mm-hmm. taking their identity and tying it to the political party. So if they're seeing the political yep. party is no longer winning, it's like, I'm no longer winning. I have to do whatever right. I need to do so that I can win. And they get it from their leader who ties his whole identity into whatever he says 
his identity is at that at that at that moment. At that moment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. ties into a little bit of me wanting to kind of talk about the tie between religion and politics because you know, Ian and I've had this conversation before in DDS you posted about it. Drexel, I know we've talked about this, but a lot of people obviously when they're voting, they're voting with their own moral convictions and a lot of people's moral convictions are based on their religion but what i find to be so problematic is people don't really know how to separate what's right for themselves in their life and what is right for society and our nation as a whole so in general how much do you think people's religion actually does to play a factor into their voting decisions i think in general people's religion plays a huge part into their to their voting decisions. And I find it to be unfortunate. I was having a conversation with one of my friends. We actually used to go to the same church and she was saying that we need to use spiritual eyes to vote. And I'm like, what does that mean? So you're not going to research the candidates. You're just going to use your spiritual eyes. You're just going to do whatever your pastor tells you to do. And, and I don't understand that. And then I was like, so if God's saying who's going to be president, who is God saying for a governor or senator or city council? And they're like, oh, I was like, okay, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> God only cares about the president. What about right. down the ballot? And it that's stops it, there. It makes, I'm Christian. I follow Christ. It makes Christians or whatever religion, they look stupid and they mm -hmm. look silly because you can't back up what you're voting for because your pastor told you to. And I think that's the highest height of spiritual abuse. If you're mandating that your parishioners have to vote the same way you do, I think it's spiritual abuse. I agree. I agree. And I think also, and Drexel's made this point to me before that, you know, I asked why Republicans align themselves with Christianity when a lot of the things that they you know, believe and 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 their policies that they put out are very unchristlike to me. And he's like, well, why wouldn't you align yourself with the biggest religion in mm -hmm. the nation? And it makes complete sense. Isn't that what you said, Drexel? I don't. I'm sure you. I said some variation of that. I, I think that uh, <laughs> the you know, but, the, but that's the, the the problem with that. Well, I I don't know when I said that, but um, I, I'm sure I said some variation of that. But but you 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 align yourself with what is the most popular at the time, right? Like Christianity being the most popular of the time. But right now you saw Republicans try to latch themselves onto Catholicism uh, during Amy Coney Barrett's um, um, confirmation hearings. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, when they, when almost every majority of the Supreme Court justices are Catholic. Um, and and, and some of which were uh, nominated by President Obama. And so um, I think that, um, you know, Christian, I, I say this in an interview, and I said this in a couple of interviews that I've had this weekend, which is about how the a minority ideology is ruling, and I think I said it last time, is ruling uh, a majority of the country. Uh, Christianity is shrinking in America uh, as it becomes um, a, 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 as people start to look at, you know, what works for them in terms of their faith. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, those that are Muslim certainly out, uh, they're the largest religion in the, in the, around the globe. Um, and I think people forget that. Yeah. And so, um, but I think in terms of politics and religion, I think you've got a lot of folks out there who have been drilled into their head, um, uh, about, you know, life beginning at con conception. Um, which is the only thing that those that are religious latch onto. There's not much else outside of that. Because it's easy. Because it's easy. And I would say that, and I would say that, um, that marriage equality certainly is something that uh, they had for a second, but mm -hmm. those days have come and gone. 
And, um, and so I think that that is something that this is the last piece that is religious enough for them to latch onto. The problem with the argument of being pro-life is that um, if you're not, you know, from the womb to the tomb, uh, then, then you actually don't believe in life. Come on, preach, Drexel, from the you know, womb so, to the tomb. <laughs> so, so I think, so I think that when you're when you talk about uh, life, and when you're talking about kids in cages, and when you're talking about healthcare, and when you're talking about uh, making sure kids are safe in school, and you can't get through, um, uh, you can't give up your guns because kids in Sandy Hook were shot, or you can't give up your guns because uh, parishioners were shot and killed in in Charleston. Uh, and, and you're seeing these folks uh, in Charlottesville uh, carry their pitchforks, and you're more scared of the black folks walking down the street peacefully than you are of people with pitchforks in Charlottesville uh, carrying torches and, and and stuff like that. And, and then you're wrapping that all up in God and religion. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a little bit of an issue with that, and, yeah. and I think that most Christians should, on some level, be rethinking. Um, what their faith means to them and, and how they want to deploy it out on people. Uh, I've always said my job is not to tell you what to believe. Um, it is to tell you what I believe. And then if you agree with my assessment of it, then you agree with my assessment of it and maybe it'll change your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, those who have taken their religion to beat down somebody else and to say that they're wrong when religion is nothing but a big opinion, mm-hmm. um, is um, is because faith and religion are very different, right? Yeah. Like what you believe, Amen. what you practice are two different things. And so, you know, I'm not, I don't, because I don't want people to think that I'm knocking religion. What I'm saying is, is that you can still believe in something uh, and a higher power and what it means for you as a, as a person of faith. Um, while still not actually having to sit in church or sitting and, 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 and making it a part of your day-to-day um, and, and beating people down for it. So I, I think that there is an opportunity for people to separate the two mm-hmm. um, in terms of politics and religion. But yeah, some folks are going to go to the polls because they believe that, that life, uh, because that, of that one particular issue. And you hear that. Yeah. And that's all you hear. Like you said, it's the only thing that they have to, to fall back on. And again, like I, the reason I say it's easy is because it actually doesn't require any work. It doesn't require you to actually live like Jesus in far as helping the poor, giving back to people, going out, doing work, being there for people, loving them like you're supposed to love yourself, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. It requires you to just advocate for someone who doesn't have a voice and then not care about it afterwards. So I always think it's, it's a weak argument and it's very, very frustrating to me. And I always have to, I find now that I'm defending my, my Christianity more so than I am just being proud of it because I'm like, I always have to say, I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm not right. this kind of Christian. And Indeedee, I know, I know you're, you're right there me. with me, right? right? I'm like, don't judge me. Yeah. You know, I was like, I don't believe that. You, you do what you yeah. want. You know, this is what, this is what I believe, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Ian, I'm, I'm dying to hear your thoughts because <laughs> Ian and I have been friends for a very long time, but he also plays guitar at my church and he came in as an atheist. I think you say you're agnostic now, which is kind of cool because, you know, I mean, the church that I go to, not that I'm trying to brag, pat myself on the back, but I truly believe that the church community that, that I'm a worship leader at and that I attend is really trying to actually do the work of Christ because we're very accepting. We're very loving. Anybody can go there. It doesn't really make a difference. And I know that Ian has seen the difference <laughs> in how Certainly. we operate versus, versus um, 
other churches, and again, not to knock other churches, but Ian, I'd love to hear your thoughts. About uh, yeah, I, well, first of all, so I, I consider myself more spiritual. I, I always have been. I, I was raised Jewish. Uh, my dad's Catholic. My mom's Jewish. I was bar mitzvahed, but I still got a healthy dose of kind of both values. But I think, so my view is this. Religion is the source of almost all of the world's problems. Mm. And the problem <laughs> is, is that the faith in and of itself is not. And the people that actually practice the faith are not. It's the fact that, it's, that it is weaponized, usually by old white men. Mm. And you look back through history, and that's always what has happened. Now, obviously, there are exceptions. It's not always rich white men. There's, there's you know, any religion can be weaponized. But especially in America, you have evangelical conservative Christians, and you have the Orthodox Jews who use it as a method to control populace and to control congregations. And when it seeps into politics, number one, it violates to me, which is one of the most important parts of our founding ethos, which is the separation of church and state, um, which it would be great if all these so-called constitutional originalists uh, would remember that. But it's, I think it's, it's, it's a tough thing because despite my view that it is a cause of almost all of the problems, maybe not directly, but, but at the root, it's also something that I feel is in a time of transition because society has kind of outgrown what was the traditional need for an organized religion for so yeah. many years yeah. to be that source of community. It was the one place in, in this, the town or the village or the city where everybody got together, where you kind of based a lot of your, your uh, interpersonal social relationships with which then affected your beliefs and what you voted for and what you wanted for, for your town. But I think because of social media and the internet and communication, we as society have kind of evolved past the old version of that. And a lot of, um, congregations of all faiths are struggling with that and they are or all branches of faith are, are struggling with that and have struggled with that and that makes it really easy for those in power to uh take ownership of these beliefs and faiths and use them to manipulate and control people i think uh indeed you said spiritual abuse was was the term you used and i think that's that's the best way of describing it because it's taking this thing that by its very definition, it should be the foundation or can be the foundation of somebody's life and their beliefs yeah. and their core principles. And it's using it to get that person to do what you want. And almost always it is to inflict harm on somebody else or simply to oppose um, somebody else's beliefs. I mean, look, if you, if you look at any of the, the, the three main religions, let alone all the other ones, almost 99.9% .9 of those texts, and I've read at least all the three major ones, are foundationally good. It's about being good to be to, to, to each other and loving your neighbor and taking care of people and taking care of the community. And, and you know, yes, they were, a lot of these things were written in, in antiquated times mm -hmm. when beliefs are different. They were all also written by the word of man, regardless of whether you believe it's the word of God, it's man's interpretation of it. Most of it, uh, you know, very, very conservative by today's standards, Roman or Greek man, or sorry, not Greek, Roman or um, uh, European man. Uh, and I think when, when that's applied to America or the world today, you get this, this juxtaposition that people can't really digest. So all that's left is these little factoids like the, the pro-life or what used to be the, the um, quote unquote traditional marriage. And that just makes it really easy 
for those in power to abuse it. And unfortunately, the way they know to abuse it is by using it to manipulate what these people are going to believe and vote. Yeah. Um, and it's that being said, for, for as passionate as I am about that, it's not an easy solution. It's not as easy as saying, oh, we've changed now or oh, we're not going to do that because these things are so ingrained into our society and culture for sure that it's it's really really hard to i'll say break people of it but it's not that i want people to break with their faith it's that you want them to be able to have their faith in one side and then have their assessment of what the of what currently is better for their neighbor and better for their surroundings at the same time and that's that's a really tall order maybe the tallest it's it's a it's a level of like critical thinking and self-analyzation and, and awareness of your place in the world and, and society that is really not made easy by any of what happens today. Which and it's, I fully yeah. agree. But then you go to something as simple as just wearing a mask to protect your neighbor. And it's majority of people that I see not even adhering to that simple mandate are of the Christian faith. And well, that's the, what drives me God crazy. Will protect, they said, God's going to protect me. Yeah. Well, it also saying not wearing a mask is anti-faith. Right. And it also comes down to, and I know you guys are religious, but religion allows you to give up a lot of personal responsibility. Now, that, now mm. in some cases that's good, but by saying my faith told me to do this, or God told me to do this, or I'm going to do this because everybody else in my churches, that absolves you or these people, not necessarily specifically you guys. Um, it absolves you of having to take ultimately full responsibility for your entire life and yeah. the actions you do that affect others. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to jump on the bandwagon of everybody around me is saying that God doesn't want us to wear masks and he'll protect us. So I'm not going to do it because of God. Then it is to say, A, I'm not going to do it because I'm a selfish prick or B, <laughs> I'm going to wear masks because I'm concerned for other people. But my concern then becomes the one that stands out amongst my herd. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a really, it's a really dangerous methodology but it's it's built into the way these things work i think anyways and that's why these simple things like wearing a mask or even uh hate something as simple as like hating somebody else for being a muslim if you're one of those type of christians or jews it's like okay you can hate the things that that those that has been done in the name of that faith but like your all faiths dictate at least in, in my interpretation that you don't simply hate somebody because they believe something else until right. you get to know them, right. you know, but right. it's, it's a lot easier to say, well, I have this, this belief. That's a quick one sentence belief that I can talk about. And I'm, I'm, I'm not responsible for it. It's my religion. Valid points. Jack. So yeah, go for it. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I just wanted to, uh, to, to echo what Ian said. There is a, um, there is a way of using things to justify uh, your actions uh, and not just in religion. I think that, you know, police officers certainly use the badge to justify their actions. I think that teachers use their authority to justify their action. I think when you think of people in power uh, or in some sort of, uh, of authority um, that they are able to hide behind uh, their titles and, and their authority. I think you saw that all through um, you know, the, the Catholic uh, scandal when it came to uh, priests and, 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 the, um, and those mm -hmm. boys. 
So I think that there is a, um, I know we're, you know, we're sidetracking off where, where po how politics fits into that. Um, but, you know, I think that that is really what it comes down to is that people want to blame, want to be able to push off, like Ian said, their own responsibility for a decision that they make in the name of somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, but that's just been religion through and through, right? In general. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that, that is, I'm doing this uh, for Jesus. I'm doing this for Buddha. I'm doing this for somebody. I'm doing this for Donald Trump. This is the problem with celebritizing politicians. Yes. Uh, and, and I talk about that a lot because not in the sense of it's where I think that, listen, you know how I feel about politicians and certainly how I feel about incumbents. Um, but when a politician gets celebritized, we forget that they're actually real people. Yeah. Uh, mm. I was watching um, the documentary, The Way I See It, which was all Pete Souza's, who was Barack Obama's chief White House photographer, was on MSNBC a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he talked about like the need to create these photos uh, where people saw a different side of a, a president. Um, the day-to-day, -day, the, the emotion that comes with that, the hard choices that come with that, and you're seeing it through the lens of somebody else. Um, and, and, I, and one of the things that he did say, which I was like, oh, I say that all the time, which is that people, um, you know, people put celebrities and, and, and influencers and politicians, uh, certainly politicians, up on this pedestal as if they don't have emotions and as they don't yeah. have feelings, as if they don't get mad. Yeah. Or as if they can't do any of that. Uh, Melinda and I talk about all the time where we don't give people the opportunity to change. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, I think that those are the, and, and then people don't give people the opportunity to do any of that as if they're not supposed to. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that is a problem that we're going to have to overcome. I think that if you look at, you know, people weren't doing things in the name of Barack Obama. Right? <laughs> right. They just weren't. Right. People weren't right. doing things in the name of Hillary Clinton. Right. They weren't. They were celebrities in their own silos, um, but they weren't. People weren't doing like they. They weren't doing things in the name. People were doing things in the name of Bernie Sanders, and they celebritized him. Um, they and, definitely have done it to Trump, right? And they, and they certainly did, and they certainly were doing it to Donald Trump. And I'm not trying to compare Donald Trump to Senator Sanders. Donald. I'm just saying, like, there are followers who are, you know, who are so obsessed with. Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. and so obsessed with Donald Trump, they cannot separate yeah. the reality yeah. of a policy of policy making from the person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, where also, where Hillary Clinton was out there talking about healthcare in the 90s as if Bernie Sanders came up with universal health care in 2015. <laughs> like those are the things that like, people could, could could not figure out how to separate the two. And, 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 and yeah, it came up and yeah, Hillary Clinton failed at it, unfortunately, in the 90s, uh, because of a lot of different obstacles and people didn't think that the first lady should be doing that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and the same thing with climate change, right? Bernie Sanders wasn't talking about climate change uh, on his own. Joe Biden was talking about climate change when he introduced that first bill back in the 80s. Right. You know, so like right. those are the things where, where people are like, oh, well, these people said it first and they're speaking for me and nobody has ever said it in their life. And you're like, actually, no, that's not how it works. And the only reason that you're saying that is because you're so obsessed with the person. Right. You've got to get away from being obsessed with these people and treat them like they are. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. These and we people. have to, we have to get rid of, sorry, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, these are people from our communities. Everybody yes. on this call can run for office. Nobody's asking to be a celebrity. Everybody's asking to be able to provide and make decisions mm-hmm. because they believe they can lead for their communities. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, I was going to say, we also have to get rid, especially in politics, of the idea that like you can only run on ideas that you yourself came up with. Yeah. Like I, I hear the, the argument all the time of like, oh, well, well, Biden or, or Obama, they, you know, this wasn't their idea. They didn't do that first. It's like, who cares? Right. If they're the ones that are going to take it up and agree with it and, and take it to fruition, like, why does Let it them. matter? <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. People aren't Steve Jobs. Okay. Right. Like it's <laughs> right. There is no such thing as a new idea. And, Amen to um, that. Yep. and so I, and so to that point, like, you know, I, I think that it is um, what you saw in Joe Biden this year was a lot of the plans that he laid out and he talked about it. This is something that Elizabeth Warren did. And I liked that plan. And we're going to put it together. This is something that Kamala Harris did. We're going to put it in there. This is an issue that Julian Castro popped up, Pete Buttigieg, all these people, Bernie Sanders, putting these folks on task forces, Green New Deal. I mean, AOC Mm -hmm. talks about it all the time, being on the climate task force and saying, yeah, and saying, I didn't agree with everything that Joe Biden said on climate change. However, he put me on this task force to be the dissenting, a voice to help get yeah. us to a point where we need to get to. And so I think that that anybody, any good leader brings smarter people in the room with them. Barack yeah. Obama yes. did it, 100%. Clinton did it. The only person that didn't do it, Donald Trump. I mean, George Bush definitely had smarter people in the room than he was. <laughs> what um, are you trying to say? Well, Donald Trump, everybody in the room. Everybody, right. Him. Right. He just doesn't, right. Right. He doesn't take him. their advice. And he doesn't and take he their doesn't, advice. He doesn't right. think, right. he thinks he's the smartest person in the yeah, room. Yeah, but I mean, there's some dumb folks in the White House right now. Oh, you know yeah, I mean? for sure. You we know, but, see that. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't even so, think Stephen Miller is a person. No, no. I mean, he's... He's he, like he, a horcrux that Voldemort left. He is one of <laughs> Donald Trump's horcruxes. Get rid of Stephen and, uh, and take that. But, you know, but, but like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you yeah. know, Joe Biden yeah. is, is, has been, and, and Hillary Clinton talked about it when she was running, and every Democratic president has talked about it, uh, that, has, that has been our nominee, and talked about building a coalition of people. Yeah. Uh, who can help do this job because this job is more than just the man in the oval or the man yes. or the woman uh, mm-hmm. in the oval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, hey, tying it back to religion, even Jesus had disciples, right? Mm-hmm. Look at you, Ian. Come on. I know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, the last and, thing and I want to. And every once in a while, one of them will betray you. This will be a whole different podcast. Right. <laughs> pieces of silver at the polls. Right. Well, last thing I want to talk about before we wrap up, um, you know, in in recent news, we saw that the police officer that was involved in the Breonna Taylor shooting filed a lawsuit against her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker, for emotional distress, assault, and battery. And first of all, the fact that he had the unmitigated gall to even do that really pissed me off. But one of the things that made me think about is police accountability under a Biden administration, because again, Drexel and I, we talk all the time, you know, he's one of my best friends, but we talk about, you know, police unions and and how close knit they are and just being able to actually hold police accountable is a very, very difficult thing. So I just want to hear your guys' opinion on how do we end up holding police more accountable as we move forward? And what are things that we think Biden should enforce? Because I know he said he's not for defunding police, even though defunding police is not exactly what we think it is, but what do you think are the, the things that he needs to focus on when it comes to police accountability? Sure, sure. I mean, I think it's something that I said the last, uh, 
maybe on the last podcast or maybe on something else that I was talking about, um, which is it all, it's all going to start with the attorney general, mm-hmm. whoever the attorney general is, because that's going to be the key to what, uh, how, what that sets the tone for the policies of the Justice Department, the policies of the U.S. attorneys um, across the country. Uh, and, and certainly the relationships with states' attorneys generals uh, and how they prosecute um, different things. Uh, if you remember, um, um, Eric Holder set up some guidelines for police uh, forces. Um, and, you know, like I said, look, unions, nobody's going to knock a union. Right. Certainly not a Democrat. The difference is, is when you're not fighting Unions are designed to fight for people. Uh, and, and police unions are only fighting for the people within their union. Yeah, yeah. Because other unions are fighting for uh, not only their union members, but uh, the people who they, with who they serve. Uh, and so that's the difference between those guys. And, and, and do we need to build, you know, police unions right now are like the mob. Um, but, but this is not something that we haven't seen before, because this is stuff that we watch on television. Who controls the mayor of Chicago on like, you know, on like Pearson, like the TV show, Pier- you know, like I love that show, by the way, even though it didn't do very well, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in any TV show where you see uh, police unions um, have a hand in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen the police unions in New York, certainly the police union, LAPPL here in Los Angeles. I mean, they're, they're, they are. They are flamethrowers with no regard for the um, for the folks who uh, with who they serve because they're only there to serve one purpose and that is for the members. Right. Uh, Right. So I think that the attorney general uh, is going to have to make that pretty clear from the jump. I'd love for Eric Holder to come back uh, as as attorney general and uh, and really put those things back in place. Um, because, you know, leadership has to come from the top. The other mm-hmm. part of, of, of police unions is, is what Joe Biden has been out there saying, and certainly everybody when they were talking about reimagining what police forces look like, um, is reminding people and certainly reminding police officers that, A, you're not alone in how you do your work. Two, that we understand the stress of what it comes when you're trying to do five jobs and you're only trained for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like being a teacher. Um, you know, teachers are not psychologists, even though they go through psych classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea that they're supposed to be the teacher, uh, the parent, the psychologist, sometimes the, 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 the health, uh, the doctor, um, you know, and, and, then, and then the PE teacher when you got to send them out to recess, you know, everybody's trying to do too many things at one time. Um, and people forget that when you've got folks in high stress jobs, like cops, and again, I'm not defending like what's happening out there. What I'm saying is, is that we have to have a set sets of policies in place to remind people that you, we, people have your back, but it's like the U.S. military. You don't see, there's a lot of problems that happen in the U.S. military. There's certainly a lot of rape problems that happen in the U.S. military. Uh, across the country and certainly around the globe Uh, but you don't hear about them because they deal with them very quickly Mm -hmm. and so and and it's all adjudicated very quickly and people get discharged they move on right Mm -hmm. with cops things aren't adjudicated and i think that you have we have to get to a point where 
We are holding them accountable. I wish that police officers were trained just like the military was trained, mm. more, more unit cohesion uh, and less individual cohesion and people feeling like they're out on their own um, and that they're only going to work with their partner and not anybody else. Like those mm-hmm. are the things that I think a culture shift has to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's going to start with the attorney general having conversations um, with police unions, having conversations with police departments and saying, we got to do better because the people deserve better. And Didi, what about you? What are your final thoughts on this? Yes, well, everything Drexel said was absolutely amazing. I would like for, and I know it's a state-by-state thing, but I would like to look into qualified immunity because systems like that makes it so that police officers are not held um, accountable when they engage in this, you know, egregious behavior. So I would like to look into systems like that. And I know it's Mm -hmm. state-by-state, but if there's anything that we can do to make it so, if you do, if you break the law, if your killing is unjustified, you have to pay the consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian, your thoughts? Um, I would say that the, the, I agree with all that. And I think the biggest, the biggest challenge in being able to hold them accountable is that we have to, we have to make it so the police are not looked on only as flawless mythic figures, Mm. right? We, we have to make them viewed as people. And that's to me, them being regular people is why they can be heroes, is why they are people who deserve the utmost respect is because they are taking their lives and choosing to do something that is outside the, the, the limits of what normal people would do in terms of risk and the amount of stress and weight that they take on and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to make that a part of how we view them. So every time we have to hold one of them accountable, there's not this uproar that, that you're somehow defacing these you know, heroes of legend who are untouchable. Um, I mean, I know, I know a lot of cops. One of my oldest friends is a cop down in Arizona. And I mean, I, you know, I don't know what he does on the job. I would like to think that he's a great person, a great cop, cop, you know, and I'm, I'm, I believe that he is and stuff, but like the thing that makes me respect him so much is because he's just, he's just a guy, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's someone who decided to choose that career path. And I think that can be a, a powerful tools to try to shape our vision of who they are through that so that when we start holding them accountable and when we have all these other things and and policy and leadership decisions in place you're not there's not this outcry that somehow the police are being disrespected which is just such bullshit if i say that word like you know i mean don't get me wrong there's a lot of bad apples but it not every cop is bad and the only way I think that we are able to change that narrative is by, by portraying them as people and coming along with the other piece of holding them accountable, just like Mm -hmm. we have to hold anybody in public officer and public right accountable. And those people can change. They can have remorse. They can, whatever they want to do, but you know, we can't allow them to be victims and untouchable legends at the same time. It's a fair I mean, good that's, point. that's, that's why if, if they're, if they know that they are perceived as people, not only will I, would I like to think that that would maybe help stem some of the problems they get from feeling a little bit invincible and doing what they want, but also that when there are cases like the Breonna Taylor case, we're not going to have somebody suing one of the victims yeah. for like psychological damage, which is, which is insane and it's preposterous, but it's allowed to happen because these people think they're they can't do anything wrong. 
Right. And that's a huge problem. And, it's, and I don't think we can totally blame them for that is my point. For sure. I completely agree with you. And I do hope that under a Biden administration, there will be um, some change and trying to bridge the gap and, and change the points of contentions between the communities as a whole and the police force, because I do think police force is needed, but I think police force as it is clearly needs rebranding, yeah. you know, a, a rehaul. So, um, yeah. well, by the time everybody listens to this, uh, it'll be the night before the election. So I God. hope everyone you know, gets <laughs> sleep and, and, and doesn't, don't drink too much. Um, and make sure you have voted if you're voting in person, you know, just be safe, clearly wear a mask. Um, Ian and DD Drexel, thank you again. And for those of you listening, make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. And we will talk to you post-election. Bye.